Episode 35, Liam Ford, The Zone. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Analytics about people. Insights for executives. Truth you can act on. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, as you are working hard to launch an effective people strategy for 2019, this is a must-listen episode. It will help to ensure you infuse more ways of humanizing your workplace or the whole person approach into your strategy. What's that? Well, we've got an entire episode on it and an incredible thought leader, so stick with us. I'm going to kick off this show with a promise. If the majority of your leaders embrace spending more time investing in relationships with their team members, your company will grow in 2019. If your executive team spends more meetings brainstorming on how to make changes in the work environments that propel higher interaction, more celebration, and challenge employees to get better, while ensuring that they're on the right seat of the bus in the organization, of course, you will move the needle. There's no better way to back this up than world-renowned expert Liam Ford. Liam is the creator of The Zone, a company created to help more people live in The Zone, especially in the workplace. Liam spends his time helping people and organizations get into their passion and purpose areas to unlock the greatest potential and ultimately help people live their best life possible. You're in for a treat with this show, but first let's hear from today's Gut Plus Science sponsor. In our conversations with CEOs and hiring managers, we hear they're frustrated with traditional recruiting. From outrageous fees to focusing on candidates before clients, the process was broken and needed to be fixed. Enter Titus Talent. Titus Talent strategy serves its clients using passionate people, a proven process, and unparalleled performance. Oh, and did we mention they guarantee the performance of their candidates for 12 months? If you want to learn how they're disrupting the recruitment space, head over to TitusTalent.com. That's T-I-T-U-S-T-A-L-E-N-T dot com. So Liam Ford, he's a humanist. He's ready to help us understand why work isn't working today. And we're about to go behind the scenes into the zone where highly engaged people driven by purpose who work with passion and pride. I am so excited. I'm stoked. Liam, welcome to the show. And let's just launch right in and open. Let's just open a can of worms. Why not? So why isn't work working today? Hey, thanks, Nikki. It's a real honor and a a pleasure to be on the show. And yeah, look, to answer that question, I want you to imagine you're a new CEO, uh, a new business, and your marketing and sales department told you that your most valuable product uh, or service had the following feedback. 52% of customers don't care about your product. They can take it or leave it. 17% hate it, but in fact, they actively undermine it with their friends. And only 31%, that's less than a third, actually like it. I mean, what would you say? Uh, Would you say that something's wrong? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, exactly. Well, that product's work. And those are the US statistics from the Gallup poll on employee engagement. And in fact, the global stats are actually much worse with only 15% of the entire workforce actively engaged in their work. And when you hear those stats, you know something is, is very wrong. Yeah. So that's a problem. And that's one of the key reasons why this show is here. And we're so excited to have you on it. You advocate a lot for humanizing the workplace. So can you kind of break that down? What does it mean to make workplaces more human? Yeah, well, when I think about making workplaces more human, I, I try and contrast it between the sort of the robotic mechanical or the old industrial workplaces where people were just numbers, 
they came into work, they did their job, they pulled the lever, and they went home, they clocked in and they clocked out. And there wasn't much need for engagement because the work was pretty, pretty routine and mundane. Well, now, you know, people are expecting a lot more out of work and work's much more complex. So if you don't create a, a more human experience, then you don't actually create the level of engagement and you don't enrich that workplace that we really need to unlock this human spirit at work. You know, and that human spirit is where people can be themselves, their whole selves at work, instead of wearing a corporate mask or just clocking in and clocking out. And I think that's what defines a more human workplace. I love that. And who wouldn't want that, right? So let's talk about leadership mindset, because so much of how any organization thrives or not is due to the leadership. And, you know, the way we work today is much different than the past. So help us understand what mindset do we need to adopt as leaders if we want to see our workplaces thrive? It always comes back to an old quote uh, that I love uh, from a book I read once, which is the fish rots from the head. And that's very much a statement about leadership. And we know from the research, and I I know that um, through your survey data, you have that same research, that leadership itself can make an incredible difference to the happiness and productivity and efficiency and effectiveness of any workplace. And to have the the new workplaces work well, where we have millennials, you need to have at least one of the four things I'm about to mention. And the first thing is the differentiation between working in silos or parts to working as a whole organization. And here I like to make an analogy between an organization and the body, where the body has different specialized parts, but it works as a whole. And organizations also need to be coordinated, connected, and in harmony, just as as our body works, not working in artificial silos that create competition, egos, and bureaucracy. So that would be the first thing. You know, the second thing is moving away from self-serving to serving others. So we come to work not just for ourselves to be part of a team and to contribute to others inside and outside the organization, to contribute to our customers, to contribute to our partners, and to contribute to our team members. So it's no longer a, a, a siloed solo operation work. We need to actually take care of ourselves for sure, but then use our available resources to help others. And what we find is when people spend their time helping others, it brings real joy. And that's really important in the workplace. The third is the command and control uh, mindset to the collaborative mindset. So as we've approached more complexity, we need everyone in. We need their engagement and involvement. We need their ideas. and We need to hear different viewpoints and different perspectives and to have some sort of creative tension. And for that to work, We need to create collaborative workplaces where there's less rules and more creativity, less rigidity and more fluidity. And this means we need people to be empowered and making decisions closer to the customer in a faster and more agile way. And finally, part four would be head to heart, more whole people. So from moving from just data to more insights, insights come from understanding people, customers in the market, not just from numbers. So this needs elements of intuition and gut feel. And then from these insights, we can create much more effective strategies, plans, and actions and and make the company more successful. Uh, In the zone, we actually have a thing we call the zone three golden rules, which are quite fun. And we ask our organizations, our clients, to make this part of how they operate. And those three golden rules are, number one, get yourself into the zone. 
I mean, you're the only person that can actually get yourself into the zone. You know what works for you. Number two is once you're in the zone, help someone else get into the zone. Like I said before, there's a lot of joy in helping others. And number three is spend more time in the zone together. Because when you spend more time in the zone together, that's when you unlock the innovation, the creativity, and the opportunities to change the game. So that would be my summary. I like that a lot. And I can't imagine what it would be like if we all just worked on that just a little bit more. If just every person in the organization was championing another person sitting next to them to get closer to the zone or get in the zone, because that's where we come alive, right? So, oh, amazing stuff. I love that. So the thing I want to focus on for a a big bulk of this is you have something called the whole person approach. And there's many different elements to this. And um, I'd love for you to be able to break that down for us. Well, look, over, we've been working around the world for over 20 years. I mean, I've personally worked in 30 different countries with hundreds of thousands of people and thousands of CEOs. And we've found that organizations generally operate in one particular mode, which is what we call the head mode. And the head mode is where we're just talking about data, KPIs. We're just talking about something that's rational, analytical. And that's really important, but it actually isn't all of us. You see, as humans, we're not just heads on sticks. We're not just these big heads, analytical data, uh, mindset, uh, walking around the office. We actually have a heart, and the heart is the center of feelings, emotions, and passions. It's, It's where our values sit, and this is how people authentically connect. I mean, if you want to get someone to change behavior, you can choose a couple of options. You can have a head to head with them and force them into it and have a bit of an argument, or you can sit them down and have a bit of a heart to heart. And when you have a heart to heart, things really change because this is how humans actually connect authentically and really. So it's really important for us to bring the heart into the workplace. When I say bringing the heart into the workplace and bringing in feelings and emotions and passions, most people get a little afraid because they're afraid that it's going to turn into you know, a lot of drama and that they don't want this to undermine the business. But feeling is not drama. Drama is a reaction to something, whereas feeling is just a human sense that we are, we are born with. The third element of the whole person is our gut. It's the sense of knowing we have from our experiences and our intuition. And it's that, that very thing that we have inside our humanness that machines don't have. And what happens is we find that as we go around the world, we ask people, how, you, how do you make decisions? So many CEOs make decisions on their gut or their intuition, yet it's not something that we encourage and it's not something that gets talked about a lot of the time around the boardroom. We don't sort of allow time for, hey, what's your gut feel on this? You know, what's your intuition saying? Yet it's a very valid part of us as humans and we know it accounts for a huge part of the decision-making. You know, CEOs are bombarded with mountains of data. They're bombarded with different feelings from different parts of the organization. You know, sales, branding, marketing, operations, they all have a different feel of the organization. They have a good different sense of the organization. And the CEO's role is to net up all of those experiences and then make decisions. And that's, uh, that's where you need to sometimes bring your gut in. And if we talk about the next level, I just want to tell a little, ask a little question and tell a little story about humans and how do we get to the top of the food chain? I mean, when you think about it, we're not faster than you know, lions, tigers, or bears. We can't swim faster than sharks. 
yet we seem to have got to the top of the food chain. How do we get there? We have this very specialized part of us, which, which a lot of other uh, animals don't have, and that's our ability to imagine things. It's our area where we actually imagine things and we can rotate images, ideas in space. We can join two things that have never been joined together, and we can create things in our mind before we actually create them for real in the real world. I mean, you don't see cats and dogs building buildings or having great works of art or creating great pieces of music, yet humans do. So we need to engage the imagination. We need to create space for ideation, for ideas, for creativity, and to let our dreams come true. Now, once you've had this imagination, you need to actually act on it. And that's where our hands and feet represent our need for action. So if we don't have action in our life and in our workplaces, we start to get quite lethargic and depressed. I mean, you imagine, Nikki, that uh, you're going into back-to-back meetings all day at work and nothing actually gets done. So we're just meeting about stuff. We're not actually getting stuff done. And we found that when we talk to people, this is one of their biggest frustrations, having so many meetings, we don't actually get time to do our work. As well as that, you know, we know we're not sedentary beings. We're not meant to just sit at a chair and stare at a screen all day. We need to get up and walk. We need to celebrate. We need to play. And we need to dance sometimes. So we also find that organizations where there's no celebration, there's no play, there's no fun, they get very dull. And you don't get the best out of people when they're dull. And finally, these elements all need to be grounded. So the grounded means that we are looking at what's adding real value to customers. What real world problems are we solving with our imagination? So it's great to have this imagination, but if it just stays in imagination and we get nothing done, it's a little bit like a fantasy more than a reality. So we need to find ways of grounding our ideas into the real world and solve our real world problems for ourselves and our customers and if you're looking in a bigger perspective and the planet. And when we work with our whole person together, this is what we call unlocking collective intelligence or CQ. So that's the whole person. It starts with the imagination. We have a great idea. We use our head to look at that great idea and say, hey, what works, what doesn't work? We use our intelligence. We bring it into our heart and say, hey, does this feel right? Is this engaging? Is this, do we have passion about it? We look at our gut and say, does this just feel right? It feels like we're doing the right thing. And then our plans through our hands and our feet, our action, grounded into the real world problems. That's what brings the whole person alive. And that's what brings and unlocks collective intelligence. I love your head, heart, and gut connection that you shared. And I almost am going to come back to you and ask you to do like a little commercial for Gut Plus Science because you basically illustrated, you know, this concept of what we're trying to help leaders understand is this multifaceted approach of how to make the best decisions. And so absolutely love that visual that you made. And we're going to come right back to collective intelligence because I want to go deeper on that. But before we do that, so let's say someone who's listening right now is getting pretty jazzed about the idea of like implementing a whole person approach into their workplace, or they're just getting jazzed about implementing something new. So you work alongside leadership teams all the time. From your perspective, who's in charge of championing organizational change? And how do you suggest gaining buy-in company-wide? Well, look, that's a really, really great question because this is where the rubber hits the road. Now, generally in organizations, it's understood that 
maybe the CEO or the top executive team, the leaders, the C-suite, uh, have more ability to set the vision for an organization. And they have this ability much more than, than say, the customer service agents, simply because they're looking at a much bigger perspective. They're looking at the organization from the top and they're looking into the future. They look, maybe they're looking into the market. Maybe they're looking into the future of work or the future of their product or service. It's very real that they need to take a big ownership of setting the vision. And maybe the founders set the purpose for the organization. Maybe they had a dream early on and they, they wanted to say, this is why we exist beyond just making money. And they were excited about that. And the managers have to own the strategies, of course. So once you have a vision, you then drop that down into creating a set of strategies for your organization. But what everyone needs to know is everyone owns the culture. The culture is owned by anyone. It's not just the HR department. It's not just the CEO. Everyone needs to own the culture. And the culture only comes alive when we live it and breathe it. It's about our behaviors. It's about everyone's behaviors. So although everyone needs to believe in and own the vision, the purpose, the mission, the strategies, etc., and their plans, the most important thing is that they own and live the values if you want to bring the culture alive. And if you want to bring whole people alive, then you need to create a culture where whole people can thrive. And this is the most important thing. So that's the first part of your question, that everyone owns this concept of culture or whole person. Everyone's responsible for that. But the leaders need to create an environment where that actually can thrive. The next part of the question was, like, how do we, how do we create buy-in? Well, you, know, you create engagement and buy-in by using experiential workshops. A lot of people think that rolling out culture or values or vision or purposes are communications exercise. And to some extent it is, but that's really only about 10% of what creates engagement. What creates engagement is people working those documents, understanding how I live and breathe the values, understanding the strategy. So you need to create experiential workshops and engage the whole person in all of those vision, purpose, strategy, values, uh, models. We need to engage the hearts, the minds, the imagination of everyone. So how we do that is we train our clients' best talent, we call them champions, to deliver these workshops. We train them how to run the workshops, how to deliver the workshops, how to unlock this collective intelligence, and how to engage and create an environment that empowers whole people. What we find that this makes it both affordable and scalable, but it has the added benefit of an amazing leadership training for our clients, future talent and future leaders. So that's how I would answer that question, Nikki. I love that. Enabling your best people to train the rest. That's really cool. Liam, I want to come back to the collective intelligence topic. So let's talk about that. Let's start with what is it? What is collective intelligence? Okay, so we have a small definition for collective intelligence, which is collective intelligence describes the phenomenon that occurs when whole people are present and connected, working with emergence and a clear and aligned purpose. And just so that you understand what we mean by emergence, that means that they're actually working on problems as they emerge. So uh, it's not a sort of a fixed mindset. It's much more of an agile mindset. So in other words, what we're saying is we have empowered people working together in the zone to unlock this collective intelligence. And collective intelligence is this intelligence of a group that's more than the sum of its parts. So it's, it's a little bit like synergistic intelligence. 
So go a little deeper and maybe share some attributes of companies that you've worked with or examples just in those companies of these organizations that have high collective intelligence. Well, I think if we go back to the beginning of uh, the interview, when we talked about what are these factors? Well, we talked about moving from silos to holes to, to, to start having people think about the organization as a whole rather than just their department. Now, how does their department fit in for sure, but how does it actually benefit customers? Where is it in that? How do they work together? To have them thinking about others as much as themselves. This is what you would know uh, quite commonly as servant leadership, where we start to understand that actually our job as leaders is to create environments that help other people unlock their collective intelligence, to unlock their potential, and also in that way serve them. And we need to get this head and heart in balance. And as you say, the head, heart, and gut. So how do we make sure that we're actually talking about that stuff? How do we make sure that that's in balance and we make it okay for people to work in that way? How do we create environments where whole people can work? And also creating zone moments. If you remember the three golden rules, how do we create in our organization pockets of these zone moments where people can come together and work in the zone? And how do we share power? If you want to empower someone, you need to share power. You need to bring down those old hierarchical structures of power and really flatten the organization and make everyone empowered to actually do their jobs. And this is what the attributes that actually helps create the environment where collective intelligence actually grows and thrives. Beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. So in summary, what is the like one big, bold challenge that you'd like to make to our listeners today? I think in summary, if, if you could go home tonight as a CEO or a leader in the business and say to yourself, how can I make a real difference in my workplace that in turn can make a real difference in the world? And I think if everybody thought like that, we would see the change we want to see in the world. Liam, thank you for inspiring the workplaces of the world to be more human. This show was awesome. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor message today, and we'll come right back with what we call our lightning round, where we get to learn just a little bit more about the personal side of you. We'll be right back. Are you still using Pulse surveys? How about annual questionnaires? If your organization relies on either of these, it's time to discover Amplify. Amplify has created a new way to measure employee engagement. It's where CEOs who want to know what's really happening within a workforce go to get honest feedback and to understand what needs to change for people to love their work. Companies that have used Amplify have increased productivity by as much as 30% in just three months. Best of all, it's not just data that Amplify provides. Executives get hands-on coaching with engagement specialists, people who know exactly what to do with the data. To see their latest research on employee engagement, visit Amplify.com. All right, Liam, we're back on Gut Plus Science with what we call our lightning round. This gives our listeners a chance and myself to learn a little bit more about you. So you can just give one line answers. Number one, uh, what's your favorite book or one that you'd recommend to our listeners today? One book that really stood out for me in my time of reading was a book by Howard Schultz called Onward, which is a story of Starbucks. It's a very real and raw story of his time in Starbucks and how, how he nearly lost the business. It's, it's, a, it's a real worthwhile read. Great book. How about a favorite vacation spot? Uh, well, a favorite vacation spot would be Barcelona in Spain. It's just one of the most beautiful cities. The people are wonderful. The food is amazing. And of course, if you go at the right time of year, the weather is crazy. 
Very cool. Enjoy it. So what would be a favorite hobby when you're not working? Uh, when I'm not working, I like to play badminton. I've been playing badminton for many years or to play my guitar. So I like to play an acoustic guitar. Does the uh, guitar travel with you? Unfortunately, it doesn't. It's a big one. But uh, my friend said, hey, why don't you learn the ukulele? Because you, you can put one of those in your travel bag. So <laughs> I'm actually going to start to learn the ukulele. That's awesome. And Liam, how can our listeners connect with you after the show? Well, I think the best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. So if you go onto LinkedIn and look up my name, Liam Ford, that's L-I-A-M-F-O-R-D-E. So it has an E on the end and you'll find me on LinkedIn. And alternatively, if you want to drop me an email, it's liam.ford at thezone.co. Liam, what a powerful episode. The ROI of your teachings not only help all people live a life full of meaning, but companies will see higher than ever productivity and employees who love coming to work. So thank you. Here's my truth you can act on. For those of you that are listening, I suggest jotting something down or at least making a mental note to try something new with what you've learned from Liam today. Here's a couple takeaways. Number one, eliminate silos, period. Number two, spend time teaching and inspiring people in your organization on how they can serve others and making that just an instilled way of being, serving other people. Number three, adopt the habit of getting yourself in the zone, helping someone else get in the zone, and then always working to spend more time in the zone. It's where our very best work happens. And finally, identify the best people in your organization to champion training and then to teach the rest. So teaching your highly engaged and great communicators to teach the rest of the crew. Gosh, nothing can be better. And I love that idea from Liam. That's it for today. 2019 will be our best year yet. See you next week on Gut Plus Science. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.